It's the go-home episode of AEW Dynamite for Forbidden Door, and we discuss it next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, we start off the show with some big news that Daniel Bryan, one of the big stars of AEW, one of the highly anticipated matches, was going to be him versus Zack Sabre Jr. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. He goes on and says that he's not clear to compete thanks to the injury sustained in the Anarchy in the Arena match at Double or Nothing from the hands of Jericho and Jake Hager. So he will choose Zack Sabre Jr.'s opponent, and he says that people will be astounded by his, you know, his opponent that he chooses. The question is, who the hell is he going to choose? I was honestly thinking about this, and I could not think of anyone that could fit the role in this match where it's supposed to be about the best technical wrestler. And I see some people going on social media. Is it Claudio or Cesaro? Is it Johnny Gargano? Is it someone else? To me, I have no idea. I honestly don't. It might be one of those two, but I'm not setting myself up to be disappointed. What about Jonathan Gresham? I've seen that name thrown around too, but is he really a technician? I don't know many guys that work a truly technical, like when I think technical wrestling, I think Kurt Angle. I, I don't think it's going to be Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle just had double knee replacement surgery. I think right. yesterday, I think, you know, um, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, I think you probably think of somebody like a Chris Benoit, um, Dean Malenko. Those guys are Red well, hard. Yeah, some guys like that, like when I think of technical wrestling, I think that Today's style of wrestling, there are people who certainly are more technical than others. Uh, Brian Danielson, you called him Daniel Bryan, but we'll give you a pass since this is the uh, the opening of a show that might have been a little lackluster, so we might as well be lackluster on our end here. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, technical, technical-wise, um, I don't know. Josh Alexander, I, I really don't know. I, I, I don't know. Other than the guys that you named... I would think that if they're trying to make a splash, if they're going to try to get some type of, um, uh, you know, attraction from people, you know, after the show, people talking, I, I, my guess would be Cesaro, but I don't know. Other than that, my guess is Lee Moriarty. Well, see, that's the thing. I think that a lot of people are setting the bar high. I think a lot of wrestling fans tend to do this nowadays. And um, I think we set ourselves up for disappointment many times. I think going back even two weeks ago, a lot of people felt like Kenny Omega was still going to return and wrestle uh, on this on this show. And as of right now, it doesn't seem like there's any chance that that is going to happen. So um, right. I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody like that. I mean, you and I were joking around the other day and I said that, you know, I, I will, I'm going to say uh, – Cesaro, Johnny Gargano, but I'm going to fully expect somebody the likes of uh, Nick Wayne, somebody like that, you know? So right. who the hell knows um, whether it's a high profiled guy or somebody that's more of like an indie darling. I think that the fans that are actually going to buy this pay-per-view uh, will probably be happy either way. So, yeah, well, we'll see how the reaction goes when it is revealed Sunday as Brian Danielson alluded to saying that, you know, cause he's coming out of the, bad guy tunnel that he's not revealing it until Sunday. So initial thoughts on the, the promo itself, the promo itself was fine. You know, I I think him explaining it, him, you know, saying that it's not a brain injury. 
or neck injury that has cost him time before. He's not going to be retiring because of this, like in WWE. He's just taking some time off. He has to miss these shows. I'm sure he'll be back sooner rather than later. It's just, you know, this pay-per-view has just been cursed with the injury bug. Yeah. Not only that, but I think that they they really kind of, un- I don't, I wouldn't say they underestimated um, the fact that, because I, I think I've seen a lot, certainly more criticism than than normal for, for AEW in terms of the build towards this pay-per-view, because whether people want to admit this or not, some people just aren't into New Japan Pro Wrestling, so they're not really invested in this pay-per-view. Uh, right. Some people are extremely invested in this pay-per-view because it's essentially like a dream card. You have... AW, which they love, and you have New Japan Pro Wrestling, which I'm sure you know a good portion of their fan base pays attention to. A big mm-hmm. chunk of that fan base, uh, I, I don't think, pays attention to New, J- New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I actually felt like two things. One, uh, I don't know if it was really warranted. Um, you know, a guy like CM Punk getting hurt as the AW champion, yeah, him coming out and explaining that he's injured, he's got to take time off. I think that's something that needs to be said because you're a champion. Uh, Brian Danielson's a huge name for AEW, but this is something that simply could have been done in a video package or through the commentary team. Um, I think that they, I would have liked to have seen them use the airtime, like the 15 minutes or however long he was out there to maybe build somebody up, build like Zack Sabre Jr. To me is a guy that unless you watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, you've probably heard of him. You may not have seen any matches of him, even like last night. I don't think that did any favors for him just to come out and stare. And this was like a common theme throughout the night, people coming out, staring at one another and nothing happening. Um, And that certainly happened here. And I felt like Brian Danielson's uh, promo there. I I felt like this truly deflated everything that would happen the rest of the night, kind of going forward. It set the tone for the rest of the night. I think that the fans were kind of hoping that he'd come out and say that he is going to wrestle. That obviously didn't happen. He said he was hurt. And uh, I, I felt like that really took uh, the crowd out of it because while the fans were invested at certain points in the night, they definitely weren't invested like most AEW uh, shows that you you see on a week-to-week basis. So I felt like this, if they were going to do this segment, I felt like it should have happened maybe later in the night, not to open the show. Um, but honestly, I didn't think they needed to do it at all. I think what going off your point, what might have been a little bit better timing-wise Backstage, you know, where Brian Danielson announces that he's ineligible to compete this weekend and next week, says he's going to have a replacement, follow that up with Zack Sabre Jr. having a match. Something. You know, it doesn't have, it doesn't even have to be a long match. Eight minutes tops against whoever just to showcase them because like you said, not everybody has seen Zack Sabre Jr. But I think Zack Sabre Jr. is one of those guys where... I think enough people, especially in the AEW fan base, have seen him because he's not strictly in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He does, you know, circle around the independent scene in the United States and England and whatever. So I'm sure they know who he is and people know the reputation he has, the reputation that Danielson have as being the best technical wrestlers. And this would have been a great match to have. And unfortunately, it's not going to happen. I don't know when this match eventually happens. Does it happen at Wrestle Kingdom? Does it happen at next year's Forbidden Door if this becomes an annual event? I don't know, but I think I will agree with you to some point that maybe the time could have been served better doing something else to build Zack Sabre Jr. up a little bit, but 
At the same time, I think it is warranted to at least explain that this match isn't going to happen because it was one of the highly anticipated matches or sought after matches on this card. Now, someone that I think they're doing a really good job building up since he's shown up in AEW is Will Ospreay. And he's part of the first match that we have. And it's against your boy, Orange Cassidy and Rapongi Vice in a six-man tag with Will Ospreay and Aussie Open. So I'll let you open it up, Ralph. <laughs> what were your thoughts on Orange Cassidy and his first match back since Revolution and his injury that he sustained in the latter match? I know you're Orange Cassidy's number one fan. Everyone knows that you are Orange Cassidy's number one fan. He gets the win here by pinning uh, Fletcher, Kyle Fletcher. So did this get you more excited to see Orange Cassidy versus Will Ospreay this Sunday? Well, so I started watching this show late, admittedly. I was 20 minutes behind because I was mm-hmm. paying bills. I was you know, taking care of some some big boy stuff, you know. So I got I got behind <laughs> schedule. I eventually got caught up, got to the start of this match. Uh, first thing I heard was trios match, trios tag team. Okay, that's one step in the grave already for me. I'm already halfway checked out. Just because it's a six-man tag? I don't mind six-man tags, but I've become accustomed to just knowing what to expect from these uh, in AEW. It's, they're good. They, they're not bad, but they have segments of them that are good throughout the show. But some, uh, uh, They're good throughout the match, but at certain points, I just get lost because there's just... Too much going on, not paying attention to the rules. They got they got refs out there that might as well just roll a mannequin out, weekend at Bernie's, bring the guy out in the glasses, <laughs> plop him in the ring, and just let it. Him and the guy from Weekend at Bernie's, what's that? Bernie? The guy Bernie? Him and Orange Cassidy. Yeah, they're Bernie, yes. Him and Orange Cassidy, they're essentially the same guy. So it would work <laughs> out well. Uh, but anyway, back to my point here. Uh, I heard Trio's match. I heard the music hit. That was strike two. There's actually four strikes here. The next strike was Orange Cassidy physically coming out and me seeing him. Uh, the final strike. What's the problem? What, you think this, I'm not trying to be funny here. This is legit. I, I'm not joking. This is literally what happened as I'm watching this. Uh, Rocky Romero. I saw the guy come out with the eye patch. That was it. I fast forwarded straight through the match. Went to the next segment. I did not watch that match until 15 minutes ago. The only reason I watched it was because I knew that we get paid to do this. And I knew that I couldn't actually... get paid much, but still, well, Well, in fairness to the people that watch this, this podcast, in fairness to showing respect to what we do for fun, I knew that I had to put myself through the, 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 the delight of, you know, watching this, this full match. So I was <laughs> mentally checked out from the get-go. After the eye patch, that was it. Fast forwarded straight. I actually looked that up. The only reason he wears that is to uh, uh, pay pay respects to a, a rapper, I believe. Some sort of pirate. I don't know. It's not like AEW actually took the time to explain why he wears the eye patch. He just wears it, and you're supposed to accept it, much like you're supposed to accept a lot of this whole forbidden door nonsense. But anyway, uh, match itself, exactly what I expected. It had its moments. Will Ospreay's great. Uh, Orange Cassidy is not for me. Um, their match will be fun to a certain extent. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. Uh, heaven help anybody who decides to put Orange Cassidy over Will Ospreay because Will Ospreay is amazing and Orange Cassidy is comedic relief. And that is all I have to say about the trios match with Repugnant Vice and Orange Cassidy. <laughs> 
Man, you're you are overly critical tonight. You're it's not in really critical. What do you want me to say? You want me to sit up here and pretend? Yeah, you know what? I really enjoyed the trios match between the guy that comes out and pretends to wrestle and the other guy that comes out with a knife. No, I didn't like it. There was two guys tagged with Will Ospreay. Don't know who they are. Don't care who they are. They're in some weird faction. The other guys came out. Jeff Cobb. I saw him. No, a couple it's more times. than it's more than a weird faction. It's the United Empire. It's one of yeah, the top yeah, yeah. factions yeah, 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 in yeah, yeah, New yeah, Japan yeah. Pro Wrestling. The United Emirates. I get it. Thanks. <laughs> Wasn't Cesaro in that faction? Cesaro and uh, Jack Swagger. Didn't they do that in WWE? No, Same thing. that's the Un-Americans. And Albert, real Americans. And Alberto Del Rio. No, weren't they like the United uh, something such and such? I saw, I saw this movie or something. I saw, I saw Top Gun. I've seen all these weird <laughs> 80s movies with the foreigners invading. It's like, I've seen this. This has nothing to do with foreigners invading. Well, I, I guess, yes, but that's not the faction of the United Empire. What do they call Will Ospreay? Billy Goat? Billy Goat. Okay, so Billy Goat's gonna go up to go up against uh, I don't know, Bernie. <laughs> Everyone's gonna tune in for that. Everyone's pumped. Forbidden Door, fifty dollars. Well, well, how about after the match where you know Cobb and Ocon come in to help beat down Cassidy and Rapongi Vice, and in coming in for the save is FTR, who get an amazing pop for the night, maybe the pop of the should. night, as they should, as they should. So would you say that FTR might be one of, if not the most over tag team in AEW right now? And oh, absolutely. maybe even maybe even like in pro wrestling? They're they're arguably the best tag team in the world right now. I mean, you're gonna I get agree. everybody that's gonna give you a different opinion, but FTR, I mean, to see what they've done and you know, they're they're a team that, you know, hasn't really been booked strongly, I wouldn't say. They've had their moments, they've had ups and downs. Um and they've just managed to get over organically. You know, and I, I think for a long time, they weren't really a central, intricate part of many of the storylines. Obviously, they feuded with the Young Bucks for a bit there, and we know how that turned out. And um, it's just good to see that. I, I don't know what's going to happen at the pay-per-view, um, but they're certainly over. So that's that's a good thing. Do you think the way it was set up, because usually what happens is the team that stands tall at the end are the teams that fall at the pay-per-view. Do you think this was set up so that FTR gets, you know, the momentum heading into it, but either Rapongi Vice or United Empire win the Ring of Honor and IWGP tag titles in that triple threat match? Well, that's strike two for you. You said Rapongi Vice. It's repugnant. Repugnant Vice. Repugnant. No, no, no. It's Rapongi Vice. Say it right. Rapongi Vice. I think I'm saying it right, but... <laughs> uh, to your to your point, uh, yes, I do think that, I do think that FTR is going to be uh, was positioned strong. I I honestly think that look, Tony Khan knows we what he has with these guys. I, I'm sure there are certainly going to be New Japan wrestlers that are made to look good and go over the AW guys, but FTR needs to be protected. I think they need to come out on top. So I I think that they should look strong. Uh, they did look strong last night, and they should look strong after the match. I, I honestly, I mean. Like I said, the logic usually goes the team that's on top usually is the team that falls at the pay-per-view. But I, I think you have to go with the momentum of FTR. And if it's where he, they're going to be the tag team version Omega, where they're just collecting all these tag belts, this obviously is the next step in that with the IWGP tag titles. And eventually they'll dethrone the Young Bucks for the AEW tag titles. But only time will tell. But speaking of the Young Bucks and those AEW tag titles, they did win him last week from Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. 
And at the end of last week, we saw the longly anticipated turn from Christian Cage to Jungle Boy. Tony Schiavone's out there this week with Christian Cage asking why he did what he did. And I love this promo. I thought this was a very, very good promo going all the way back to last year's double or nothing casino battle Royale, where jungle boy eliminated Christian cage to win that match, to get that spot against Kenny Omega a month later. And then on top of that, you bring in everything else he's talking about. He's not here for bringing, bringing over the young guys. He's here for the money. Actually has another line in there talking about his advice for those that are wanting more money. So I do think that was a seed planted for the future. Once he's done with Jungle Boy, he's going to have his eyes on MJF. I thought that was heavily laid out on that promo. But I think the line that everybody's talking about is he says that Jungle Boy's mom wishes Christian Cage was Jungle Boy's dad, wishes Jungle Boy was his father figure, but you had a father. And your father's dead. It's got a lot of people talking. Is this in poor taste? Did he cross the line? Is this good? Is this bad? Personally, if behind the scenes, if Jungle Boy's okay with it, fine. If I'm watching this as just a viewer that doesn't look at the back scene or you know think they know what they're talking about backstage, I'm going, man, this gives Jungle Boy a reason to kick the ever-loving crap out of Christian Cage. I think that line needed to be in there because it's going to bring out the edge in Jungle Boy that people are waiting to see out of Jungle Boy. I think that had to be said. It might have been in poor taste, but heels have to say things in poor taste sometimes to get that heat. And I don't think you do it in any other way than that line right there. Um, I, I, I do agree with you. I think that as, as so long as this was uh, communicated backstage and there was an openness on Jungle Boy's side and he gave him permission to say that, then um, then I'm okay with it. If he just went out there and just decided, well, I'm going to say this just to get some heat, yeah, then it's in bad taste. Now, the one thing I will tell you is this. Um, whether it was agreed that he would say it, whether he just went out there and decided to say it, that line, if you Google Christian Cage today and you click on news, uh, that's getting a lot of attention and not just from wrestling, uh, wrestling journalists. So, um, yeah. Well, I, obviously, I, because of who Jungle Boy's dad is. Absolutely. So it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, I, I thought this, the promo itself, with or without that line, I thought was great. I thought that he explained his motivations um you know, just just as he should have. Uh, he drew amazing. He he does. He, he cut on the fans a bit. He talked about all the stereotypes that you think about a, a typical wrestling fan. He 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 talked about Twitter and how their ideas suck, um, you know, so on and so forth. Probably was talking about you and I a little bit, uh, at least people like us, but that's Which okay. Which is fine. That's all right. That's what he gets paid to do, and he cut an amazing promo. Um, and Christian, I said this last week, I've always felt like this, Christian was always underutilized, underappreciated because probably mostly because he was undersized. But, um, you know, this is a good going to be a good opportunity for him to kind of showcase how good he truly is. And he's done this multiple times throughout his career. Um, but I think this is truly going to be the uh, defining feud, at least hopefully will be the defining feud in Jungle Boy's career, where he turns mm -hmm. the corner, he gets to show some emotion, gets to take that next step from working with a veteran like 
uh, Christian. And, you know, even the subtle tease at the end, Christian has always been at his best when he's got a muscle like Tomko or somebody like that. Um, Luchasaurus, I would be fine with him coming out, not as Luchasaurus, by his real name and siding with Christian. Um, and he was well-dressed. Yeah. He had, he had his, his Austin Power shoes on. I don't know if you noticed those, <laughs> but... I did not notice the shoes, but I did notice how this promo ended with Luchasaurus coming out, attacking Christian Cage, and Christian Cage going, we need to talk backstage, we need to talk backstage, and they walk out together like Luchasaurus is so easily uh, convinced to do so. It was a little... Like, really? That's all it took to like choke slam the dude, do something. But nonetheless, I think this will eventually lead to a character change in Luchasaurus, too. And maybe this leads to the end of Luchasaurus and becomes a more human like character, not a dinosaur. But we'll see how this goes. I agree with you, though. This is Jungle Boy's moment to show people that he has charisma, that he has character, and could be one of the quote-unquote four pillars of AEW. But next up, we do have the the last of the qualifying matches for the All-Atlantic Championship, Malachi Black versus Penta. I thought this was a very solid match. Malachi Black does end up getting the win here. So it will be Malachi Black, Pac, Miro, who cut a promo after this match and I thought was very good. And originally it was going to be Tomohoro Ishii, but news just broke prior to recording that Ishii is injured. He's out. So Clark Connors is in, uh, in his replacement. So, uh, what'd you think of this match, Ralph? What'd you think of Miro's promo? I thought the promo, it's like the promo is how Miro should be used. You know, backstage promos, pre-produced, get him to what he's saying about God. And he's going to send people to God, tell him that I have something to say to him. Like now his feud is with God. And yes, we've had feuds with God before in wrestling, but this is a more serious feud with God as opposed to the McMahons versus God. And I think they're kind of biting themselves in the ass for fighting with God right now. But, you know, uh, I, I, I think Mero has not lost any momentum since he's come back. And I think he actually wins this title match. I agree. I think he's going to win. I thought his pro I thought the match itself was was fine. Um, but mm -hmm. I do think that Miro's promo was very good. And again, I go back to like what I was saying. So at the end of the match, we had Pac come out, uh Malachi Black's laying on the ground, and they're just staring at each other. Mm -hmm. This would set the seat. This is now the second time it happened where somebody it was Zach Saber Jr. It happened first. Um we'll get to the end of the night because that was just damn awkward. I, I <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. But anyway, yeah, Miro, great promo. I agree. These these uh pre-produced um videos are the best way to utilize him. He's when whatever character this is, he's very in tune with it. This is probably the best version we've seen of Miro or mm -hmm. whatever. So uh yeah, he was he was good. Yeah, totally agree. But next up we have the question's finally been answered as to who is going to be in this IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match. Before we get to that, though, we have Hangman Page versus Silas Young of Ring of Honor, also a part of Milwaukee, so we got a hometown crowd pop. Hometown was behind him. I thought this match was very good, very hard-hitting. Uh, there there might have been moments where you might have thought, hey, Silas Young pulls out the upset here in his hometown but eventually, Hangman Page does win with the Buckshot Lariat. Adam Cole is on commentary throughout this match, you know, trying to, 
you know, bash Hangman Page every way. Afterwards, Adam Cole comes out, goes to Hangman Page. Dude, you are not facing Jay White. This match is going to be me and Jay White to represent Bullet Club and Undisputed Elite. Jay White comes out and he's like, Hangman, I'm not facing you. But Adam Cole, I'm definitely not facing you because you lost to Hangman twice. Yep. This leads to a beatdown with Jay White and Adam Cole attacking Hangman Page. And then who comes out? None other than the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, who gets a nice little ovation in Milwaukee, showing up while people were worried. Is he going to be there? Is he not going to be there? Dave Meltzer said he's not going to be at the, at the show because he has a, a child that's going to be born soon. Now, the child might be coming, but Okada's going to be in Chicago. So hopefully Ch- Okada's wife can hold on for a couple days while he travels back and forth. Nonetheless, we're getting a fatal four-way. Jay White versus Hangman Page versus Adam Cole versus Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. I'm excited to see Okada at a time where I'm actually awake for it. I'm excited to see, you know, th- these four on the card. Personally, I th- would rather these be two separate matches. If it's Okada and Hangman as one match, and then Jay White and Adam Cole as a separate match. But when you only have, sp- what, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, five days to book the show, this is what happens. And I do think part of this was preemptive booking because they were not 100% sure Okada was going to be on this show. So they took the belt off of him. They brought Jay White to the States because, you know, being an English speaking wrestler, he could push the show better than Okada can, whose natural language is Japanese. So I think that was part of it. And then once they figured out Okada's definitely in, they made it a fatal four way. Yeah. So either this was preemptive to prevent Okada not being on the card, or they knew all along and they did some weird booking to get to where they are. Well, talking about weird booking, the one thing that I definitely don't like or didn't like about the lead up to this was even going back to last week, Jay White said they more or less made it seem like it was going to be Jay White's decision who he was going to face. He didn't decide yet. And then by the end of the night, we find out, I, I mean, unless he decided, okay, I'm going to face four people. It didn't really seem like the decision was up to him in the first place. It was just yeah. kind of like, okay, well, here you go. You're going to get a four way. Well, how many times has the heel? How how many times has the heel said something like that in wrestling, and then someone above him, some management role, comes out and says, uh, "No, the babyface and this like the odds are against you in this situation." I I don't disagree. The problem is that AEW does not, and for for a company that prides themselves on good booking and everything like that, like they're kind of just relying on okay, well, this is a, a, a dream match. And I'm not saying it's not a dream match, but what I am saying is they don't have a GM-type role like that where somebody comes out and says, oh, no, you don't get to choose your, your opponent. This is who you're facing. Right. So um, I am not going to complain about this match uh, on paper. Obviously, it's it's going to be a, a good match. I, uh, I don't know if it was the best lead up to it. Um, I still think it's a little weird that you know, Adam Cole brags about being friends and associated with Jay White, but somehow wanted a match from him. I don't know. Um, that being said, yeah, I'm excited for the match, but I don't like the build to it. 
Right. Now, I will say, I, I a couple weeks ago, I was talking about the whole but therefore storytelling. There's definitely that in there. And I think there that has been good. But I think where we are at this point, you kind of have to think back and just say, was this the plan all along? Or was this only made this way because we found out Okada is going to be at the show just now? But either way, I'm excited for the match. I'm excited to see Okada. So... But let's move on to the next match here. It is Tony Storm versus Marina Shafir as a precursor for Tony Storm and the AEW Women's Championship match this Sunday against Thunder Rosa. Nyla Rose comes out in support of Marina Shafir. I, I don't know why she was in this match. Right. I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Well, I don't get it from the start of when she walks out with her theme music with the violin. It's like... What is, what is she? What is, is she? Weird. What, what, what's her character? Like, what is what does she bring to the table? I get it. She's got an MMA background, but she doesn't. She blaz. She doesn't do anything. She's the problem. Why? Why? <laughs> the problem is her being on the TV. I'm being mean. This is the now. Now, now I've crossed the line. I try not to yeah. be critical of. I don't know what you want me to say here. <laughs> Maybe it's best if I sit this one out. Go ahead. Anyway, I, I will say, first off, the reason Marina Shafir is here is because there's the tie-in because Thunder Rosa faced Marina Shafir a couple weeks ago, and Tony Storm saved her from the beatdown. And then at, that leads to Tony Storm versus Marina Shafir this week. I still don't get why Nyla Rose is in this match, is involved in this. Now, I do understand Nyla Rose and Thunder Rosa have their history, but are we rekindling that feud? I, I just don't know. I don't know. The match itself was all right. Tony Storm gets the win. Thunder Rosa comes out afterwards, and we get another, you know, stare down between these two, Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm, after they chase away Shafir and Nyla Rose. So that, that's that. I mean, at least we're seeing Thunder Rosa on TV. Finally, but even then it's still minimal. And at least there's a build for this match, even though that's also minimal, but you know, good thing. There's other matches on this card. Let's just say that Out to the next segment. I, I, I can't say anything. I don't know <laughs> what to say. The next, I, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss. The next match is the main event. John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus, uh, Chris Jericho and Lance Archer as this is both a setup for a six-man tag at Forbidden Door and a setup for Blood and Guts. Sammy Guevara is on ringside with uh, Lance Archer and Jericho. You know, the match was all right. Everyone got a little bit of shine in this match, a little chaotic as, you know, we had four people in the ring at once multiple times in this match, as you usually see in AEW tag team matches, especially when Aubrey Edwards is refereeing. But nonetheless, uh, Moxley and Tanahashi obviously get the win here. And then we get a brawl. Kingston comes out of nowhere, attacks Chris Jericho. That starts the brawl. Then we get the rest of Jericho's Appreciation Society coming out. They, you know, join in on the fun. Santana and Ortiz, I almost forgot it was Ortiz because his head was bald. Forgot, you know, after losing the hair versus hair match, he looks, you know, a lot different, bald. And then we get Minoru Suzuki just casually walking his way to the ring. Shota Aminu shows up. And then while all this chaos is happening, 
Moxley and Tanahashi are just in the middle of the ring, just staring at each other. That's it. You have all this going on, and you have these two just staring at each other. I, I think it's the, I think it was the replacements. I think that was the movie where something like this was happening. Everyone was fighting, and then there were two guys just staring at each other. The John Favreau's character and um, the criminal character. I forget their names in their in the actual movie, but like they're just staring at each other while everyone else is just fighting. That's what it reminded me of. I I. I... It's almost hard to put into words. First of all, the uh, the afterbirth in this match was I, I don't even know what to say. Um, it so much going on, so many people involved, people that you didn't even know were going to be involved with one another, chaos everywhere, and that's okay. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't think in this specific case it worked because, again, the assumption is that the AW fan base is going to know who all these people are. Um, I think that most people are going to know who, you know, Suzuki is. But I, I, other than that, I mean, it, it was all over the place. And the most uncomfortable part was the stare down in the ring. They had to have been staring at each other for three plus minutes with nobody doing a damn thing. And this was after Moxley cut a promo in the back saying how this was personal. Well, if you have this guy standing in front of you who you've been chasing around from America to Japan, back to Japan, a pandemic, but... For three years, you waited to get your hands on this guy, and he's in front of you, and there's nobody separating you. And the most violent guy, and all of pro wrestling supposedly, doesn't do anything. I, I hated this man. I, I didn't. This was an ending to a episode of Dynamite. Last week, I said it was one of the best episodes of Dynamite I've seen, at least in recent memory. To me, this was one of the worst. This was an episode that was all over the place. It was an episode that threw shit against the wall and was hoping it would stick. Uh, very little substance. All over the place in the sense that there's some Ring of Honor stuff going on and we're pushing Forbidden Door, but we're also pushing uh, Blood and Guts and we're getting promos that's about for Forbidden Door, but also <laughs> Blood and Guts. And it's like, it's too much, man. Last night was too much and not enough substance. And this was... The culmination between of this show with Moxley and Tanahashi face to face, nobody doing anything, and then just kind of fading to black. And I was like, "Wow, that was bad. That was bad. That was one of the the, the in my mind one of the worst segments I've seen in a long time in AEW." So I was not a fan. So I'm guessing this episode of AEW Dynamite did not get you sold on Forbidden Door. No. No, definitely. I mean, I, I'm one of those fans. You don't have to sell me. I'm going to watch it either way because I want to see the good wrestling. Um, if I was somebody that's more of a casual or like on the fence, I, there was nothing that happened here on this show that in my mind would have drove anybody that would have been like, I need to see, I, I need to see it. Uh, Okada what probably was their best opportunity to do that. And maybe for some people it did, but I think for a majority of people that maybe were on the fence, I don't think this did anything for, to to sway them in the in the uh, in the sense that they're going to order it. I don't know. Do you disagree? Uh, what, what, what what would be what was this? What was the strong se- the strongest segment of the night in my mind was Christian, and that has nothing to do with Forbidden Door. I agree with that, but I also think getting more matches on the card and seeing who's actually going to be on it definitely helps. You know, 
the selling of the pay-per-view. Okada definitely being there helps. Having the Young Bucks and Darby and Sting, I think, helps the card. I I think, you know, the anticipation of who Daniel Bryan's mystery opponent selection is going to be might help with that, too. I think that adds a little intrigue. Does all that lead someone to pay $50 for a pay-per-view? I don't know. I I will openly admit, I don't know, depending on the person. Me and you, I think, like I, like you said, I'm sold either way because I'm buying the pay-per-view regardless, you know, not just because we have, we're going to review it, but just because I am, I like new Japan. I like AEW and I think there's going to be good matches. So I I'm hoping the $50 is worth it. But if you're, like you said, someone on the fence, someone that leans more WWE possibly, or, you know, might just only watch AEW and not New Japan. I don't think this fully sold on this on this episode of Dynamite. And you know, for what it's worth, and I know we've brought this up, you know, the 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 ratings and the viewership certainly are not the only determining factor in pro wrestling. The way that may, people make it seem. Mm-hmm. Um but the numbers where it was consistently, you know, a million viewers and seeing them drop off to 700 something and even it was think it was 800 something like i mean that's not encouraging for a go home show especially They're something still number of, 1 in the demo two weeks in a row yeah but you know what man i this is this is what i don't buy if you if you know you can draw 1 million plus people that's 200 300,000 people that decided there's something that is worth investing their time in more so than aw new japan pro wrestling and this was supposed to be a big deal this was the thing, like, when this happened, my God, that's going to be the thing that sparks the catalyst that, you know, oh, my God, they're going to contest with WWE. I didn't see anything last night that led me to believe, like, this is going to be the biggest thing in pro wrestling history. Nothing at all. I mean, I think it will do fine. I think that the matches will be great. But I didn't walk away from that show last night saying, my God, they got something there. Like, WWE should be sweating. I did not I did not think that for a single second. So would you say over, under... A hundred paper, hundred thousand pay per view buys. Uh, how many? Because this is really the first time they're doing a show a month after their pay per view. So this is really going to be a test if you know monthly pay per views are doing such you know so close to each other yeah. is worth doing, or do you think they needed to space this out? I think that they. I definitely think that they could have spaced it out. I think that the the promotion could have been a little bit better. Um, again, I I don't want to nitpick here, but I don't think having somebody like a Will Ospreay in a match with like somebody like Orange Cassidy is gonna do them any favors. Their biggest issue right now is the fact that some of their top guys are hurt. CM Punk's not gonna be there. Uh, Kenny Omega is not gonna be there. Uh, Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson. There was a big question about Adam Cole even being on this. So and know, Okada. Samoa Joe, I think he's hurt too, right? Or maybe yep. he's just not on the card. So guys like that, bigger name guys like that, I mean, that's those are guys that you can't... Who are you going to replace those guys with? I mean, Adam Cole, even with him back, he doesn't have the name like a CM Punk. He doesn't have the name like a, a Brian Danielson. He just doesn't. Um, So they were in a tough spot to begin with. I think that they're going to be disappointed. Whatever the pay-per-view buy number is, I think it's going to be disappointing. I don't think that it's going to be what 
people expected it to be going back. Because this is the anticipation for this has been building for years. And now it's finally here. And I think I've seen more people be critical of this than anything I've seen people be critical of in AW, I think, ever. So might be onto something there, but only time will tell. Let us know what you think the buy rate for this pay-per-view is going to be in the comments below or tweet us at SCPB Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, hit that bell for notifications, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Cycle Battle.